Tisha Bader and in the news, the recent rocket attacks on northern Israel from Lebanon and Syria. This on the backdrop of tensions at the Temple Mount and an uptick in terror attacks in Israel. How are these events related and what is the situation now? Well, to help us answer that question is Lieutenant Colonel in Reserve Sarit Zahavi. Sarit is the CEO and founder of ALMA, a nonprofit and an independent research and education center specialized in Israel's security challenges on its northern border. She has briefed hundreds of groups and forums on Lebanon, Syria, and Israel's national security challenges. She joins us now from the Western Galilee in northern Israel. Sarit, thank you so much for being here on JBS. Thank you. Good evening. So can you just give us a, a summary, if you can, of the situation now. Uh, rockets from, from Gaza have sadly become the norm, but rockets from Lebanon and Syria are certainly more rare. What is the situation now and how do you view it? So on Israel's northern borders, what we feel is that we kind of in a new era. Uh, and I must say that it, it's a process that started in the past year and a half while we saw more and more presence and provocations of Hezbollah on the border, and we discussed this uh, many times also here in JD, JBS. A few weeks ago, there was an infiltration from Lebanon of a terrorist that went all the way 80 kilometers into Israel, and his mission was to uh, kill all of Israelis with a side road bomb and a suicide uh, explosive belt and, and some kind of gun. And he failed to do that. And he was caught on his way back uh, to Lebanon after he wounded uh, only one Israeli only, of course. And, and we understand that, that we understood that something is happening, that things are changing. The border that was relatively quiet, relatively, as you said, to Gaza, even relatively to Syria, is changing. And what we have seen now uh, just a few days ago is the launching of around 35 uh, missiles from Lebanon to Israel to the Western Galilee, right where I live. I had 30 people at my backyard that day, and we, 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 my shelter is very small. It's just two square meters. We couldn't do anything. So we just stood there and, and, and took videos of the interception of the rockets, and most of them were intercepted by Iron Dome. Actually, a few fell in populated areas next to a bank, next to a children's park, uh, next to homes, between the homes, and we were very lucky that nobody got hurt. The feeling, this, this kind of incident didn't happen uh, in northern Israel in the past uh, 16 years since the previous war with Hezbollah. And uh, the big question now is whether Hezbollah will try again. Now, this time, by the way, it was not Hezbollah. It was Hamas from Lebanon, but it is clear that Hezbollah is involved, that is, Hezbollah is uh, completely uh, coordinated with this, uh, with, with you know, raising detention policy on the northern border. Is the fact though that it was Hamas terrorists is that something new, and does that raise sort of a red flag, or is there are there questions raised because of that that it's not that it was not Hezbollah but Hamas? This specific time is not new. In general, it is new, but uh, we have seen. Uh, Hamas in Lebanon in the past two years. Uh, in May 2021, we have seen uh, Hamas launching rockets a few times from Lebanon. 
Uh, we published in the Alma Center, we published a report about Hamas in Lebanon a year and a half ago, and we uh, pointed at the fact that Hamas is military deployed in Lebanon and trying to build a military infrastructure of a few hundreds of rockets with two units with a headquarters in Sidon. So we knew this is coming. Uh, what is, you know, first time is this amount of rockets that are being launched, and that's why we evaluate that Hezbollah this time is involved because you couldn't launch that many rockets uh, from orchards, private orchards from South Lebanon, where, you know, Palestinians in Lebanon cannot own any property. And, and these uh, missiles were launched from or, uh, orange orchards or olive orchards. You need somebody from inside, from Hezbollah, to help you deploy all these launchers. These, these were many launchers that were spread all over. Interesting, and I want to get to Syria in a second, but let's stay with Lebanon for a moment. Um, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu mentioned the recent maritime agreement signed with the government of Lebanon. This was an agreement brokered by the United States, signed this past October with the previous, previous government in the Knesset. Um, and he said something in his speech recently about this was an agreement with Hezbollah, which of course it was signed with the government of Lebanon, but I'm just wondering like, what was the intention of that? And what does this agreement, does it bode well for things with Lebanon? Is the relationship any better? And how does that then stack up with what's been happening with the rockets? I think we should lower the expectations. And I've said that when the agreement was signed, we should lower the expectations from this agreement. This agreement was presented, I heard this from reporters in Israel, as a non-aggression pact with Hezbollah. This was not the case. The whole idea of this agreement was to create a situation that everybody, Israel and Lebanon, will be able to get the gas out of the water. That's it, okay? It's not about new relationship or new, nothing at all. Of course, Hezbollah is involved in this, and Hezbollah is a member of the Lebanese government. As Hezbollah, you know, were, was making sure behind the scenes that his interests are taken care of. And eventually, the bottom line is that we, we got an agreement, we compromised, uh, we didn't even compromise. We actually made a concession, and we, we signed an agreement that is almost completely according to the Lebanese demands. And, and we did it with a gun to our heads while Hezbollah was threatening war. And I think this is the criticism of Prime Minister Netanyahu. But actually, I'm not sure that if Netanyahu was at office, he would do anything differently. Because it was such a tense situation back then that, you know, eventually the government had to do something. The messaging was bad. And Hezbollah learned that Israel is willing to make a concession. And, when there are that kind of threats uh, of war coming from Hezbollah, but I'm not sure again that we wouldn't sign it. You know, it, it is a you know choosing between a bad option to a bad option. I understand. I understand. And again, this was about as you mentioned the gas fields that are uh, in the Mediterranean, that are the demarcation of where those maritime borders are, which has been in discussion for, for many years. And as you said, for, the, decade, yes. for decades, for and decades. as you said, probably 
any prime minister would have done the same. But again, we're, we're in a situation right now where politics plays a role, unfortunately, in a lot of these issues. Let's talk about Syria for a moment. And, and again, of all the, the players involved in this situation, because as you mentioned, you mentioned Hezbollah, which is based in Lebanon, but backed by Iran. And then you have Syria, which, which also has you know, Iranian involvement. So there are players here that are not just Lebanon and Syria. Um, but I wanted to ask you about Syria for a moment. So in the past, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, when there have been rockets from Syria, it's been blamed on spillover from the civil war there. So were these several rockets from the, Syria? The civil war ended next to the Israeli-Syrian border four years ago, almost okay. five years ago. Okay. Okay. So this is not spillover. This right. is this current situation. Yes. So this is different than what it's been in the past. Yeah. Have there been any, you know, rockets from Syria intentionally into Israel in the last how many how many years has it been? No, it's it's we had incidents of rockets that were launched from Syria in the past few years and drones that were launched. And each time, by the way, it was a different player. Once it was Iran, and once it was Hezbollah, and before it, it was ISIS when I this was, was there. Things are happening here and there on the Israeli-Syrian border as well. You know, if you look at the timeline in the past uh, 12 years, you'll see a lot of incidents. Uh, and again, and yet, it's unusual. And we had like 48 hours after the launching from Lebanon, we have seen a launching from Syria as well, but not 30, but only three. And they were launched to the south, the southern part of the Golan Heights. Uh, again, nothing happened. They fell in open areas. But uh, this is definitely a message that connects, a message to Israel, that there is a connection between Lebanon and Syria and Jerusalem and Gaza, if you like. And I think this is what the Iranians are trying to say. Now, there was a meeting today in Beirut of uh, Hezbollah and the Palestinian uh, players over there, the Palestinian organizations over there. And this is the message that is coming out from there as well, that there is a connection between all the different arenas. And this is what Iran is trying to create. It's trying to create multiple uh, arenas that Israel has to deal with, with regard to security from Lebanon, from Syria, from Gaza, from West Bank, and, and, and even from inside Israel. Now, West Bank and, and, and inside Israel, and maybe even Syria and Lebanon, you shouldn't look at that as a chain of command in a sense that, uh, you know, somebody sent somebody to stab somebody or to shoot somebody or to run somebody in Tel Aviv. This is not the case. It's about the atmosphere. So Hezbollah is completely a proxy of Iran, but all others are kind of voluntarily uh, joining this campaign, which Iran is leading the, the vibe, the incitement, the, you know, the direction, the principle, but not necessarily giving all the orders to everybody. So are you saying it's more of a situation where perhaps Syria or Hamas in Lebanon says, oh, this is a good opportunity to attack because there's all these other things going on? There is no Syria, and Syria was not the one who launched the rockets. Uh, Israel is rightfully saying that the Syrian government uh, should realize its sovereignty in South Syria. But actually, it's not the Syrian government that launched the rockets. It was some other non-state player, whether it was a Palestinian organization or Hezbollah or uh, the IRGC itself. We don't know exactly who launched these rockets. What, what I'm saying is that uh, when we speak about Syria and Lebanon, it is clear that there is 
strict uh, collaboration when 30 rockets are, are launched from Lebanon, but when there are uh, rockets from Gaza, riots in, in Temple Mount, it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody gave the order from Tehran. And yet I view Tehran as the others. I view Tehran as, as somebody, again, who is creating the umbrella uh, to push this campaign of creating multiple fronts against Israel. Interesting. So I'm just getting back to the prime minister's remarks recently again, talking about the situation after the, after the with the protests against the judicial reforms and comments about, you know, Israel's challenges and that Israel's enemies see these as weaknesses and again an opportunity to to attack. Do you do you buy into that or is it sort of a it seems like a cyclical thing every year at Ramadan, tensions rise, there is more violence, there are more attacks. So is there a distinction here or is it sort of all part of the same picture? No, I don't think it's all part of the same picture. I think that um, it's a development of a process that we have seen that started, as I've said, two years ago of a different situation assessment with regard to the strengths of the Shiite axis versus uh, the weakness of the state of Israel, and if you like, the weakness of the West. So it's not uh, only uh, with regard to what is happening inside Israel. Of course, it matters. Of course, uh, it encourages, I agree with the assessment that it encourages our enemies to push forward this campaign that I was talking about. But I don't think the campaign, the, the, the risk assessment, I don't think it started yesterday or in the past few weeks. I think it started earlier. And I think it depends on, on the one hand, it depends on what is happening inside Israel. Of course, it's, it, it influences uh, the risk assessment. But on the other hand, it is also influenced by what is happening in the Middle East in general and what is happening in the world in general. And I think that the, the fact that there is a normalization agreement between Iran and Saudi Arabia with the mediation of China, this is something that the Iranians themselves view as an achievement. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it doesn't mean that the Saudis are becoming friends of the Iranians, but it doesn't matter. But bottom line is that the Iranians view this as an achievement. It's another front that is coming down for the Iranians. It means that the Saudis actually uh, accepted the Iranian presence in Syria. Uh, the Iranian presence in Lebanon. This is what it means. It means de facto. I don't see Iran is going out from Syria or Lebanon due to this normalization uh, process. Uh, and I think the Iranians identify the opportunity now to raise the tension on the Israeli uh, northern borders because of what is happening in the Middle East and because of what is happening inside Israel. And also because they didn't see they are paying any cost with regard to the nuclear issue as well. So is that what you mean by, by we, you said weakness, there's weakness um, by the, the West, you said, and you also said weakness by Israel. So what do you mean by that? By the West, are you talking about the Iran nuclear deal? And then what are you so talking, talking about? about the Iranian nuclear deal and, and the fact that the Iranians are, are enriching uranium to a, a level that is almost completely military and it is definitely not for civilian use. Uh, and they didn't pay any cost for that. Nobody, you know, the negotiations, is uh, limping, you know, is, is not really working. It's stuck somewhere and, and the Americans are trying to bring it back. Um, they see that the Americans are giving a cold shoulder to the Saudis or so the Saudis and the UAE are trying to, 
you know, send message to the Americans, hey, we have different alternatives. All of this messaging is giving the Iranians more self-confidence. And of course, the fact that they signed a deal with Russia and they are now who are the, the, the player who is providing weapons, advanced weapons uh, to Russia, rather than Russia providing advanced weapons to Iran, which this is the situation that we were used to. So all of that together, I think, creates a different risk assessment. And the Israeli uh, internal situation is part of that. How could it be, how could it do differently? How do you see um, a different policy that would change the picture? All of us should uh, think of a different policy, whether it's United States or Israel. First, because we are in a different situation. Uh, we are a different situation in the North. Israel will have to develop a comprehensive policy like it did with Syria. that includes kinetic uh, activities uh, and uh, diplomatic activities behind the scenes, both of them, by the way, below the surface. Uh, United States will have to rethink who, who is a friend and who is an enemy and what exactly, you know, how exactly to connect with these players in the Middle East in a sense that it will be able to fight the terrorist players over here, whether it's Hamas, Hezbollah, or the IRGC. And it is clear to everybody that these are terrorist players. You said in an article that you wrote on Alma, um, the dilemma remains, how do we create deterrence without creating escalation? And that is, of course, a complex question to answer, but do you have any gut reaction as to like how or in what direction, um, what steps might be taken to sort of reach that sweet spot between showing strength and, and deterring these kind of actions, but not wanting, of course, to God forbid, create, you know, go to a point where, where we're talking about war or conflict, any conflict of that kind. Look, the most uh, comfortable things to do, thing to do is to stand in front of the screen and lecture to our uh, leaders what to do. Uh, while I'm not exposed to all the intelligence. So I'm not sure I can tell them what to do. I understand their dilemma. And I understand that, you know, sometimes you make a decision, like the decision that was made now, at least until now, I'll put it this way, I'll be very careful, is to a uh, response in a very uh, limited way. Uh, Israel respond uh, to the 34 rockets that were launched in eventually in a very limited way. Uh, we didn't went crazy. And but there was and, a strong IDF response. I mean, there were there were probably many options on the table. And this was the decision. And again, maybe it's not the final decision. Maybe things will develop further. I don't. I really don't know. Maybe we will never know uh, what happened below the surface. So that's why I'm saying I prefer to talk on the dilemma rather than the solutions. First, because I don't believe there are solutions, and second, before because maybe what the government is doing, I think that whatever they would do, you can, you cannot, you will always not be uh, sure in 100% that you will write. Mm -hmm. You can do all the right things and all the right things around decision-making process and eventually deteriorate into war. Or you can do all the right things around decision-making process and decide like now to go to a limited response and have another incident like that within a month. We, we, we can never know. We certainly hope that a, a resolution is, is in sight and that... Um, 
will see peace along that northern border as well as all of Israel's borders. I know you're there personally, you, your family, so we certainly wish send you our best wishes for peaceful days and nights and uh, an end to these incidents. And um, hope to speak to you again soon, Sarit, with an update. I hope a good one. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sarit Zahavi is the founder of Alma, and we thank you so much for being here on JBS. Thank you as well as always to our director, Sloan Copeland, managing director, Dara Golub, transmissions manager, John McDevitt, technical manager, Michael Paley, producer, Carol Lilienthal, and thank you for watching In the News. Thank you.